0: Hello and welcome to Inside the Therapy Room. I'm your host, Sam Sellers. I'm a registered therapist, a wife and a fur mama, and I'm passionate about breaking down the barriers and stigma attached to therapy. I wanna begin by honoring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. Today, we have one Sam in Gubbi Gubbi country and the other Sam is on Gundungurra land. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations people. We must always remember that the land below our feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today we're chatting with Sam Ruckle. Sam is a self-confessed introvert and empath who loves nothing more than a good ache in the belly laugh but more than anything, she loves providing a safe counselling space for gentle souls, introverts, INFJs, empaths, and neurodivergent people. This is her joy and passion, bringing hope and healing to the brokenhearted. Sam first started Paper Crane of Hope as a community development project, leaving Paper Cranes in her community to spread this message of hope and healing. It quickly evolved into what it is today, an online therapy space. Tune in to hear her share about working with those who have gentle souls, about her own experience of under- understanding herself more, why it is so important for introverts and INFJs to have a therapy space, and she smashes a myth around this misunderstood group of people. We hope you enjoyed joining us inside the therapy room. Welcome, Sam. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm just noticing the stark um difference in our attire today. Um you are in sunny Queensland, aren't you? I am. Yeah. What, what part of Queensland are you in? The Sunshine Coast.
1: So about maybe 10 minutes from Noosa.
0: Very oh, very nice. nice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I I've never been to Noosa, but I know it is the the ritzy part of Queensland. <laughs> It's <laughs> like, isn't it the place to be? It's like the ritzy part.
1: But. Yeah, well, I don't
0: live in Noosa, <laughs> but I have a nice clarification.
1: <laughs> I do live by the coast, though, and I feel extremely yes. grateful about that. I yeah. love
0: it. It would be beautiful. It is. You. And I know because um, so you own Paper Crane of Hope, correct? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that sort of came out of leaving sweet little paper cranes with little mm-hmm. messages. And, you know, I think you're in a wonderful part of the country to be able to do that. Beaches, parks, all sorts of beautiful natural spaces.
1: Yeah. I actually started leaving paper cranes in Croydon in Melbourne.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So that's where Paper hope started. And then I moved up to the sunny coast about, six years ago and started
0: leaving paper cranes around my local area. Yeah. Right. So I'm excited about um, this episode because the group of people that you work with, I would probably, you know, label them broadly as gentle souls, Um, but I tend to fall into some of these categories, which makes me sort of, you know, nice and excited um, to have a chat to you. So the people who fall into that category that you work with, Um, introverts, INFJs, empaths, HSPs, or highly sensitive people. Tell me a little bit about who they are, what they look like. People probably are hearing acronyms and letters (laughs) and having absolutely no idea what we're talking about. So give us a bit of a lowdown. Okay.
1: So I just wanted to share first Mm -hmm. that when I started Paper Crane of Hope and I was leaving... Paper cranes around the community with little messages. The people that found those paper cranes and we formed a bit of a community on Instagram turned out to be introverts. Ah. And they seem to naturally fall under that introvert, empath, mm-hmm. INFJ, gentle soul yeah. category. Which is where my passion for that really started. And that's also when I personally learned that I was an INFJ. Mm -hmm. and So I started sharing about being an INFJ and I had a lot of my community resonate with that. I love
0: a natural progression. Yeah. Would you like to know what an INFJ is? Yes, please tell us. I'm also an (laughs) INFJ, so I know Ah, what it is. Okay. Um, But please tell everybody else what that is.
1: Okay, so it's part of the Maya Briggs personality testing where Maya Briggs apparently have 16 different personality types that people could fall under and the INFJ personality type apparently only makes up about 1% of the world's population. And so what I found happened when I learned that I was an INFJ everything started to really make sense in my life and the way that I thought or viewed the world and why for most of my life I always felt like a fish out of water and like I just didn't completely fit in with the people around me so I've always had amazing friendships but I just always felt like I was that a little bit different the odd one out not quite gelling with everyone else and that's probably why I became really passionate about providing cancelling for the INFJ, because I I understood that experience that they would have gone through. And I find that a lot of people who do find out they're INFJs, it's a bit of a light bulb moment for them. It's an aha moment. And they just want to explore that and get to know themselves a bit better and Absolutely. see their
0: life. I absolutely can resonate with that. I remember the moment that I found out um, it was almost, it actually like, I don't know that whether it was a light bulb moment, it was more of like a weight off my shoulders. Like it was, there was a relief about it. There was suddenly, you know, um, people would tell me, oh, it's, you know, you're just like a walking contradiction. Like you say one thing, you can say another, like how can you, hold both of those views, both of those perspectives, both of those world um, sort of seeing the world in two different ways or multiple different ways. And so I think it was a relief. There was a reason. There was, yeah, it was uh, I think I also hear when people sort of find that space that it is quite a moment for them. So, it is,
1: yeah. yeah. And then because it's such a rare personality type, it's really amazing that people can then find each other on the internet Absolutely. and find a safe space where they can chat with each other and ask, like, "Do you think like this as well?" And then just having that conversation.
0: Yeah, there is a running theme in my world at the moment, which is that concept of "to be seen is to be understood," and I think that very much resonates in this world of of um, of people because it can feel really insular and like you're the only person who um, has this unique perspective on the world or thinks like this or feels like this and so being able to connect connect with like-minded people it does create that sense of validation and understanding that you don't get with people who are not that personality type or who don't think like that so We threw another acronym out there, HSP. (laughs) Let's define that for everybody. (laughs) So
1: that is a highly sensitive person. And I find that a lot of INFJs tend to fall under that HSP empath umbrella. My understanding of an HSP is someone that is extra sensitive to Perhaps noises or touch or crowded places, all of those like sensory sensory overload. Yeah.
0: Basically. Um, are you a HSP, Sam?
1: I would say that I am. Yeah. But over the years I've learned to manage that. And so I don't feel it affect me in the same way that it once did.
0: Yeah. I think it moves and it has progression and it sort of has peaks and troughs at different stages of life. I'm also a HSP. My therapist describe. I love the way that he describes it, which is um, that HSPs have a finely tuned nervous system. So we feel everything just more intensely. Everything is just more intense. Taste is more intense. Sound is more intense. Everything is just more finely tuned, Um, which I love because it's like a superpower almost. It doesn't feel like a superpower sometimes Um, when (laughs) the sun is (laughs) so bright that I cannot even bear to like have my eyes open. Um, But, you know, it can be things like that that make it really difficult to be out and about with people who don't understand um, that you're not just being dramatic. You're not just, you know, making a big deal out of something, you know, you just draw, you're not just drawing attention to yourself or something like that. Um, but it's a real visceral, physical, um, response for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I moved to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> saying, I mean, to be, to be honest, I'm so not a beach person. I understand people's love of the beach because yeah. it's, beautiful it's picturesque the breeze the sound of the water I just can't get my head around sand it just you're gonna say that because a lot of people have that yeah I I mean and and sand for me is a sensory thing like I just like it gets stuck everywhere and like I don't know how if I'm walking on the sand it ends up in my hair and you know just little sort of frustrating things like that turn into just like a whole hour can be just like ruined because I've now got sand in my hair and it's like feeling like I'm being attacked so (laughs) little things like that that like people just go yeah it's just sand but you know for some people that is it's not just sand um it can be something and that's obviously I'm probably sharing way too much here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Everybody is getting a sudden impu- in la- insight into my life. You know, it is a very sort of unique group of people who fit into this category and they are often misunderstood, I think. Yeah. So I think it's really great to have therapists like you who not only specialise in it but who are also sitting in that spectrum themselves on some levels, on some level rather, there is that natural understanding that comes from that because it would be really easy. You know, I mentioned to a one of the psychologists who came to see me whilst I was in hospital recently. And I mentioned to them that I was a HSP and um, no like glazed over, no response, no understanding, nothing. And so it's just one of those things that, like, for people who are a HSB or who are introverts, that can be such a huge part of their life. Yes. And so if you don't want to have to educate your therapist about that. So I think it's really great that there are, you know, therapists out there like you who are specialising in this space and creating safety for people who don't necessarily get a lot of safety in other places, particularly clinical spaces, I think.
1: Yeah. I I also find that for say an INFJ or an empath, they are the people that all of their friends and family and random strangers might turn to to offload on them and to in a way get free counseling and to hold that load for other people. And then they find they don't actually have anyone that they can talk to and offload for themselves. Absolutely. And so a lot of people have told me that when they've come into a counseling session and they've got this space, firstly, they find it weird because they're the one that can talk and not yeah. listen. Self-spotlight. And, yes. Yeah. And secondly, just how relieving that is that oh my gosh, for an hour, I can talk about myself. I'm not going to get interrupted. I'm not going to have someone say, oh, I've
0: gone through that and changed the story and make it about them. Absolutely. I would completely agree. And then they become therapists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And make people pay them to listen to. (laughs) So we then get to do that for a living. And, you know, one of my favourite things is hearing people's stories. I think it's why, you know, we probably all got into this space. So now before we sort of get into the nitty gritty, you have a YouTube channel where you chat about all of this, correct? I do, yeah. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Okay, so my channel is called Paper Crane of Hope. And... I do videos talking about being an INFJ and other topics as well, introverts, empaths, some personal things. Um, I recently did a video on me going to Toastmasters for the first time.
0: Yes, yep. So, I mean, I think that even just having that is great because it is – sort of a lead in for people because counselling can be a daunting space, you know, even for those who maybe don't fall into this gentle soul category, counselling is daunting. And so I love when therapists have things out there that sort of give you a little bit of insight into what you might get or what you might expect and give you information at the same time. And it's really great also for partners or family or friends to be able to watch those things about their loved ones as well.
1: Yeah. I also find it's great for some of the psychoeducation that they, that yeah. people see. So then when they're in a therapy session, they actually have a full hour to talk about themselves.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's no sort of need to be educating either way. I mean,
1: psychoeducation still happens. Oh, yes. If it's needed. Yeah. But, yeah, I love that there's this growing resource on my YouTube channel that I can refer people to that they can watch. I think it's I did want to share as well about counselling for an INFJ and your experience when you told this psychologist about being a HSP and how... Yeah. Get it? Yeah. I find that the experience for INFJs is that the way they think their cognitive function is so different than the fifteen other personality types, and their thinking, or I should say our thinking, is going so 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 fast. It's very intuitive. We're seeing patterns that when we're trying to share a story. Sometimes to get from point A to point Z, so much happening. Absolutely. You need to share because there's patterns and you want to explain it all or you just want to do it from here to here. But if you don't understand what an INFJ is, that can be really confusing for a person to even understand how a person got from point A to point Z or Mm -hmm. to even have the patience to understand why are they telling me all of this? What has this got to do with anything? When to an INFJ, it all makes sense. And they just need to formulate what is happening. And sometimes for an INFJ to even understand how they're feeling about something and to get clarity on a situation, they need to verbalize everything that they're thinking so that they can
0: feel what they're feeling. Absolutely. I think even I always will describe to my clients that my brain is a little bit like a spider's web and it is working on overdrive most of the time. And there will be moments where I just have to spend like five seconds to collect my thoughts to say something because I'm not just responding to what they've just said. I'm thinking about, I'm connecting three other dots and I'm thinking about something that they said five minutes ago that I'm going to bring up in five minutes time because I want to clarify and check on something as well and so there's you know sometimes half a dozen things that are all going on at the same time that yeah for some people it can just be very much misunderstood and can be dismissed as well I think I noticed that in a lot of, of relationships where one person might fit into this category is that it's misunderstood a lot. But I completely get the verbalising as well. Sometimes I'll say something um, to my wife and she'll be like, of course I'm going to do that. And I was like, yeah, but I just need to know that I've verbalised it to you for my own benefit. <laughs> like, And so it's just like little things like that can cause a lot of friction in relationships though. To be able to get that understanding, whether it be through therapy or through other sort of resources like your YouTube channel or podcasts or books and things like that, I think is um, is needed in this day and age of where understanding is paramount to all of our relationships. So while we're on the topic, what is it like for people who fit into this category of introverts, INFJs, HSPs, what is it like for them? What are they going to expect if, in a therapy session, in your virtual therapy session? Okay, <laughs> Conversely, there is a lot of
1: laughter. Yeah, great. I love it.
0: Humor is the best yes, I all I love, the time. I love using humor in yep. therapy. I think it's so powerful. Yeah, I also find though, I mean, just side note on humor. I find that people who fall into this category also tend to have a really specific type of humor, and yeah. it is not always received very well from people it's who are not always socially it. acceptable. Yes. My yeah. therapist tends to say we have we fall into the category at times of like morbid or dark humor and so that's not always socially acceptable or well received by people so I think even just having that space in therapy to be able to laugh and have somebody laugh at your jokes when instead of somebody cringing at your jokes exactly or even even having like light
1: humor when it say if I point out something to a client about like their bodily reaction and and you know mirroring that to them or showing them do you realize that you do this when such and such happens and then it can become quite humorous and then you can almost see like a, a weight coming off their shoulders and you're right about the the morbid <laughs> jokes I find yeah. many INFJs are in caring roles yes, such as cancelling social work nurses occupational therapists people who are seeing really heavy and at times dark things and I know for me when I worked in youth corrections came across a lot of heavy things but the staff members our coping mechanism was dark humor
0: absolutely
1: and if you don't work in that environment you just don't get
0: it yeah absolutely I completely agree. So there's lots of humor. Yeah, what else so, can we expect?
1: So in the first session, I do find it's very much about getting to know that person's story, getting an over overall understanding of who they are, building that trust. I if someone has gone through trauma, for example, it's so important that there's trust and rapport with that person so that they feel safe to be able to share. So it is very much about, yeah, getting to know the person and their story and what's happening. I will often give that person some strategies that they could try at home after the session, some mindfulness exercises, maybe some readings, although I've learned that graphic handouts work better than a textbook. So I used to give yes. out like a textbook chapter on, for example, the window of tolerance.
0: Oh yes, on yes. Reddit,
1: which is fine. And then yes. I found a really brilliant <laughs> graphic handout on window of tolerance and everyone just loves that. So, yeah. and then after the first session, I like to see myself as a bit of a holistic therapist and I'll use whichever therapeutic approach I feel is going to be best for for the client. And I do like to ask for feedback from the clients on if they felt like that technique is working for them or not. And I really love and appreciate the honesty from them. And I also find it's a learning thing for them as well, because many empaths, introverts, INFJs, that category are people pleasers. And so it's great for them to be able to speak up if something's not working. Yeah, but I do find that I tend to fall into using internal family systems or parts work therapy, and that seems to really resonate for this gentle soul umbrella yeah. for
0: people i i love that because i think that that sense of autonomy and being able to sort of they are in the driver's seat because it would be really easy for this category of people to sort of sit back and let the therapist lead let them sort of, you know, this is what is going to be really helpful and whether it's helpful or not, they're going to do it anyway. And so I think that ability to sort of reinforce, hey, this is all about you, (laughs) as uncomfortable as that is, this is all about you, you are in the driver's seat, I am just sitting alongside for the ride and, you know, potentially giving some options and some suggestions, but ultimately, you are the one in control of that. And if you turn left, then I know that turning left is working for us. Yeah. Um, instead of, you know, trying to continually go down paths that are, are not beneficial and are not working. So I love that uh, that sense of autonomy that it gives. And uh, I mean, we always tend to use the word control in a negative light, but I think there needs to be a sense of you should have, feel like you have a sense of control over your own therapy sessions yeah. and how they go so yeah I love that
1: yeah, um, yeah I do like to remind them that
0: they are the expert of the yeah. real life and yeah, I hate being referred to an expert yeah it's gross <laughs> I don't know about you, but anytime somebody refers to me as an expert, I'm just like, yuck, I don't want to be known as an expert. I want to be known as somebody who is passionate about certain things. And so I learn a lot about it and I love working with those groups of people. And, um, you know, there are certain areas where we have lived experience as well, and that adds you know, a, a certain dynamic to it as well. But I much preferred to um, empower yes. my clients to think that they are the expert.
1: Exactly, uh, yeah. And I, I do find, I mean, with the INFJ, they are so intuitive yeah. and yeah. self-reflective, but they just needed that space to actually get clarity to yeah. talk. And I should also mention as well that in a lot of our sessions, I do like to bring people back to their body. I find that INFJs, empaths, gentle souls really struggle to be in their body, whether that's from trauma or something else. They just find it really hard to connect with their body. So often when they are sharing a story and they are jumping from da-da-da-da-da, at times I may pause them for a moment And to ask where are you feeling this? What does that feel like? And help them to connect back into the physical body. Because for an INFJ, the weakest cognitive function is called SE, which is that sensing, that being aware of your physical surroundings. And so INFJs who can learn mindfulness techniques and can connect back in with them within themselves are a lot happier and more at peace because they're not stuck in this thinking and feeling cycle loop. So when we're talking, yeah, we do often talk about emotions, where they're feeling it, in the shoulders, their chest, their tummy, what does it look like, what's the picture that they have. And then at the end of the session, they'll often say that, oh, that heavy chest rock feeling I have has lifted. And so they're
0: able to become more aware of what's happening for them as they process their feelings. And I would imagine for a lot of people, particularly if therapy is new to them, that that process of holding and pausing to feel where that is in their body physiologically, that that would actually be a really uncomfortable and at times painful thing to do because they're often not doing it. They're avoiding it for, you know, a large variety of reasons. But I would imagine for a lot of them, particularly if this is brand new, therapy is brand new for them, and if there is trauma in their history, um, that that process would involve a lot of discomfort. Yeah. But
1: it's quite healing and powerful because I find a lot of my, clients they're well resourced in that they love personal development love reading about psychology they understand a lot of things from that logical and intellectual level but they just haven't allowed themselves to pause and actually go through it.
0: My therapist and I sort of joke that my HSP and INFJ traits personality traits tend to make me a great therapist because I read a lot, I'm, you know, always wanting to improve, know about personal development, know about new approaches, all of those sorts of things, Um, but they make me a really awful client because it is, you know, I'm very comfortable sitting with clients and holding space for them, but it, you know, despite the fact that I've done this for, you know, six and a half years or something. It is a very uncomfy space for me sitting on the other side of of the couch, so to speak. Before we jump into smashing some myths, which is always my favorite part of the episode, um, you have a couple of products on your website. Tell us about those quickly. I do.
1: Firstly, I have a free ebook out at the moment. All right. And it's a 30 days of gratitude practice. Love that. I recently went to a professional development training and it was on gratitude and it was all about the research that has been shown about just how effective having a daily practice of gratitude is. But the thing is with gratitude, it does need to be a daily practice practice for at least 30 days to see the benefits. So I created this 30 days of gratitude where each day there's a different exercise that you can do to live a more, a more, more of a life with gratitude and yeah. thankfulness. And I also have a building assertiveness workbook. I find many INFJs, they struggle to be assertive in their life. And so I've created yeah, this workbook with exercises that you can do to become a more assertive person. I also have an ebook on journaling. I am so passionate about journaling. Yep. Journaling was a absolute lifesaver for me when I was a teenager, and it was my teenage self that taught me about journaling. So I wrote this book in honor of her. Love and that. in honor of how far I have come since being that
0: 14-year-old girl journaling under the tree every weekend. <laughs> I love that. I think it's these things like journaling and particularly gratitude, they get thrown around a lot as like fad things, particularly social media, but they are proven, researched things. they and- yeah, that, that actually work. Yes, yeah. it requires intention and, yes, you have to do it consistently to see the benefits. And, yes, it's not going to work for everybody. Nothing is ever going to work for everybody, but they are proven tools that actually work. They are not just something that you see you know, on social media as this fad thing to, you know, pull out a journal. They are real things that actually are are beneficial for people. I must say assertiveness is one thing that I never had to grapple with, but I had the flip side that my assertiveness was viewed as aggressive. Okay. uh, The other extreme? Yeah. The other extreme that just just because I have the ability to to speak confidently to somebody and and say what I need in terms of that relationship or whatever it is, um, that that somehow makes me dominant or aggressive, and I mean I think. We are jumping into a rabbit hole of of living in the patriarchy, but um, let's not go down that. <laughs> we'll be here for another hour. We'll do another but, podcast on that. Yeah, I know, whole another whole another podcast on that. So I've been asking everybody. It's my favorite part of the episode is to think about a myth around the group of people that you work with and to smash it because there is myths about so many things. So many things that are misunderstood and I want to crush them. Okay. I am completely ready to crush. Amazing. (laughs) What myth are we smashing?
1: I am going to crush the introvert myth that an introvert is shy. Yes. Quiet is, you know, standing in the corner in Mm. a room because that is not an introvert. Yes, there are introverts who are like that. Yeah. But there's also extroverts who are like that. Yeah. And that is why I experienced a complete burnout in my life because for a long time, I thought I was an extrovert Yeah,
0: because
1: I was confident, I was loud. Some would call me annoying. I wanted to be the center of attention at times. This is my younger self. Yes. <laughs> I went, I completely burnt out because I was living a life as an extrovert. What an introvert and an extrovert is, is actually where you get your energy from. An yep. introvert gains their energy from being alone, from having time to yourself, time to reflect time to you know be in your own little hermit bubble and an extrovert gains their energy from being around people and from socializing there's all these studies that show that the brain looks different for an introvert and an extrovert and it's to do with the dopamine levels and so for an introvert to gain their feel-good hormones and to re-energize they need to be on their own yeah and then the more they're around other people those levels get lower and lower for an extrovert for them to have those feel-good hormones. They need to be around people. And the more they're alone, the lower that will get for them.
0: Yes, I love that. <laughs> I love smashing this myth because it is um complete and utter rubbish. Um yes. <laughs> and, and I completely get that, you know, feeling of, you know, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? Because You know, growing up, I generally was a a fairly confident person. I was, I did musical theatre, I did debating and public speaking and all of those things that put you front and centre for a lot of things. But I was so not an extrovert and now I sort of, you know, both my wife and I are introverts and we describe ourselves as raging introverts. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't like to see it as as a negative. It doesn't need to be something that you have to shy away from sort of addressing or, or embracing. Whenever I talk to clients about introvert versus extrovert, I sort of like to think of those two terms as your battery. And yeah. so it's like well, what is recharging your battery essentially. essentially. And um, and I think it then gets people out of that mindset that how you view someone doesn't automatically mean whether they're an extrovert or an introvert because it's, you know, it doesn't matter. I love the memes where it's like if you see a bunch of introverts together, you know, it's like a party. <laughs> there's understanding and you could, there's a, a an ease about it. But you put a bunch of introverts with a bunch of extroverts and you've got a very different story because yeah. you have people who are wired differently. And mm-hmm. so I love smashing this myth. Good pick because it's, yeah, it's crap, I think. <laughs> and I think it's crap to to think that extroverts are always bubbly and, and full of life and and don't need downtime and should be expected to be with you all the time. I think that is just as damaging as yeah. thinking that introverts hate people, essentially. Because exactly. uh, we
1: love socialising too. Absolutely.
0: I love going out for yep. dinner. I love, you know,
1: doing all of that. I yeah. mean, it depends on the environment, of yeah. course. Absolutely. But yeah, you're right. It's important that the extrovert also learns to love yeah. the company. And I could imagine that during the COVID lockdowns, that would have been so difficult for a lot of extroverts because suddenly that they, they were forced into a situation where they had to learn to love their own company. Absolutely. And I know a lot of my introvert friends, they loved it. They oh, thrived.
0: We, we just thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was actually sad that the Queensland lockdowns only I last few weeks. I was I not know. ready to come out of my shell. I mean, so sorry to all the Melbourne people for like three.
0: <laughs> I know. And they're probably thinking, how dare you think that lockdown was amazing? It was awful. <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't go through that. I'm so
1: sorry if you went through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, and obviously, you know, we we joke about loving lockdown and we obviously – recognized that the reason we had lockdown was obviously not good and heartbreaking for a lot of people. I think it was a really interesting space to sort of see some people thrived in that environment and other people lost their mind in that environment. And they were the ones sharing humorous memes about, you know, not surviving or things like that. So. What I found interesting about that time and
1: with what I was seeing on the internet is before COVID, there's the saying of an introvert's living in an extrovert's world. Books about it, about the struggles for an introvert having to live in this world that is designed and set up for an extrovert, including workspaces where it's all like open plan, all of that, that is just overstimulating for an introvert. And then suddenly after COVID, I was seeing memes about extroverts living in an introvert's world and suddenly it was flipped and they're able to experience how an introvert may have been
0: feeling like within their body and their psyche. Absolutely. I don't know that I sort of thought about it in that reverse Sort of terminology, but you know that's what it sort of it was. It was very much sort of a flipped narrative. I have loved this. This has been great. Um, and I think it is going to be. I think it's a really misunderstand and misunderstood group of people. I think there was probably another half a dozen myths that we could have smashed about (laughs) each of those sections because there it is just a really misunderstood group of people and it's a shame because they're also a really you know we kept referring as gentle souls because they do often hold emotion other people's emotion quite personally and quite heavily and so that coupled with the misunderstanding about who they are and their you know how they're wired can create a lot of pain and a lot of hurt for for people so I, um, I think it is really important that there are these spaces virtually, there's resources in terms of, you know, your YouTube channel and podcasts and things like that, that create a sense of ease yeah. about where they don't, there's no need to explain, over-explain almost why the who, what, where, why and how, that sort of thing. I think it's I think it's really great that there are these spaces now. And because I think that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think that this is a niche, that, you know, there would be someone who would specialize in working with this group of people. I think we think, you know, kids, adults, couples, you know, those broad spectrum things. But there are people out there who work with much more insular sort of groups of people.
1: Well I realized when I started my practice, I love all people. Yeah. So- all ages I love all genders I love diverse people and so I didn't want to niche myself just for mums or whatever but I felt really drawn to
0: this personality type yeah gentle souls And I think it happens, I think those sorts of things tend to happen organically. Everybody that I've sort of spoken to, we sort of, we never set out to specialise in a certain area generally. It just tends to come to us and it Mm -hmm. tends to come quite organically whether we like it or not sometimes. Um, And so I think, you know, I think it's great that there are more specific and insular sort of niches so people know where to go when when they need someone so I love that thanks for joining me thank you for having it's me it's been so nice
1: and can I, we didn't acknowledge the fact that we have the same name
0: I know yes how do we get to the <laughs> end of the episode that they're getting double Sam which I just think is great and I'm gonna have to work out a way to distinguish that in the in the intro. So if you're getting to the end of the episode and hopefully the intro is good because it's always a little bit hard. I think we might go with like Queensland Sam and New South Wales Sam. It's been so great. Thank you for having me. I am so excited about this. Yeah, I've loved it. It's been a great chat and I feel like there are other sort of little avenues that could have been chatted about. So yeah. If anybody is interested, <laughs> Instagram. We're both relatively prominent on Instagram, so there'll be lots of um, lots of different avenues, and there might even be other spaces where we get to chat. Maybe we'll do an Instagram live or something one day.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. It'd
0: be fun. Yeah, the three Sam's. Yeah, amazing. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. We hope you enjoyed joining us inside the therapy room. Thanks for listening.